Battle Line Podcast episode, I believe, you know, I wrote down 117 <laughs> and then I was, yeah, 117. So crazy. Uh, very excited for this episode with Tariq Azim, author of Empower, Conquering the Disease of Fear. Um, for the new listeners, I'm Ian Scott. I am Chris Peranto or Tontos, like a lot of people. I should say that was pretentious. Man, what, did, what an arrogant asshole I am. I, I'm Tonto. It's what you're known as. Yeah, it's my call sign. Uh, back in the day when I was playing playing a little bit with the agency and playing a little bit downrange with some of these countries. Jeez, you hear about Iran, man? I know we're getting the intro, but Iran drone strike Baghdad, and uh, and they also they also blew up something else for the retribution of of killing one of the Khomeini's what four or five years ago. But we we'll talk about that in a second. I'll I'll be honest. I was in I was in L.A. I did not watch one minute of news. So let's get into it right yeah, after yeah. this, um, because first, I do want to tell you guys, of course, about Thadia. Thadia is the apparel brand that was created from the inspiration of the heroic, from the everyday individual to those who protect us, to the athlete. Thadia represents the courage and bravery that's within us. So if you're seeking an inspirational apparel brand constructed with enhanced capabilities, then grab your Thadia gear today. I love this yeah. stuff. I wear it all the time. You are go on Chris's Instagram at real underscore Chris underscore Tonto <laughs> underscore Toronto, and you will see Chris wearing this stuff always. This is what you work out in, and and it's got stuff with the Tonto it's, label. Dude, it's tremendous. Whether it's ta the Tonto, the KTP gear is what they call their stuff uh, for for my stuff, their Chris Tonto Pirano gear, or just the regular Thaddeus stuff, guys. And and they're always having sales. They always have sales. It just seems yes. like the prices are so reasonable. At that, and you're not getting cheap gear. You're getting good gear. I, I just finished working out with the same T-shirt that I had, that same Courage and Bravery T-shirt that I've had for three years, and it still fits. And I work out in it, and I run in it. Uh, they have they making running shorts now. I I, I shit. Yep. Excuse my language, but I now I, well, I shit canned all my Nike shorts, and that's all I wear now for running. And then they just have like even wearing today, I'm wearing, I wish you guys could see me. I'm just wearing regular sweats today, but they're the gray regular sweats are great to run. It. I yeah. love them. And you can just sit around in them. They're, they're so cool just to chill in. But if you want to go run, I run in them as well. So, and you, and you can show off your, and I can show you, can. you can. <laughs> I have to pack, I have to pack a few socks down there, but uh, you know, I do what I, I do what I have to do. Uh, but guys, the, their gear is tremendous. And always check out their sites. They're always having some sale. And even when they're not having a sale, their prices are extremely reasonable. And don't look at those prices and think you're getting cheap stuff. You're not. You're getting. No, and they're one of the companies that first uh, when, when all this happened. And, and I think this is a good thing. Um, when China and all this was going on and, and all their stuff was coming in, then we had the, you know, the sweatshops and they actually stopped using China and all their stuff is made now in South America. They, they, they I think that's yeah. a big deal that that's, Huge. I agree. And Scott would, would tell me to tell you guys there, there, I think there is still some like old stock. So if you get something that's yeah. old, it, it may have that, but any of the newer apparel yet, yeah, none of the newer apparel is made in China. Tremendous. So I just always like to make that yeah, clear, yeah. but they're great. I wear their stuff all the time. I echo everything Chris says. I wear my KTP shirt all the time and I've had that yeah. for years. So shop online at Thaddea.com, T-H-A-D-D-E-A.com and check out Thaddea on Instagram at Thaddea underscore co 
experience the brand of the courageous and brave and the KTP apparel line of Chris Tonto Peranto. Wear the Thaddea brand and personify your courage and bravery. Once again, guys, T-H-A-D-D-E-A.com. Link is right there in the description. Let's go. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The switch is on. Battleline podcast, and this is one of those times, it's funny, uh, I'll sometimes bring up a topic and you'll be like, I know nothing about this, and I think because I've been in LA the past week and my my eyes were not on any news, I have not heard about Iran, so let's let's get you into know, it. You know, and guess where I, I, I didn't watch the news, I still get the uh, our, one of our old sponsors, I didn't sponsor to get, and you guys, so you guys need oh, to 1440, out there, yeah. 1440, you need to sponsor <laughs> the podcast again, guys, come on, but I still have them, they pop up on my email every once in a while. And uh, yeah, that was the first thing that came on the headline. Iran strikes, uh, Iran strikes Baghdad. And they did. They drone striked uh, uh, Baghdad Biop, Baghdad International Airport. Excuse me, guys. And um, I just, because of me spending so many years in the Middle East, I still read stuff there. I I still pay attention to it because it's near and dear to my heart. As much as being a contractor running around with a gun, you still make so many relationships and you meet so many people and you do get to know the culture because we're on the streets. I mean, we really are the true diplomats, not the diplomats that go and do their meetings. It's the guys that are actually running on the streets every day where you're meeting people every day. You have to. And, you know, sometimes you look very intimidating when you're carrying guns and body armor and all that, but you still have to befriend the people as well. I say have to, I wanted to, I, I wanted to show, Hey, America, we're not, I know I've got all this gear on. I look bigger than what I actually am. I have these guns, but I'm a nice guy and I want, I'm here to protect these people here. I'm here also to protect you. If somebody starts shooting at you and I want them to get that persona. So when I read that, that Iran drone strike, um, you know, it doesn't shock me that Iran is emboldened to do something like that with our current administration, how it is. Um, but more than that, it's not a political statement I'm trying to make. It's just like, man, that, Baghdad and these places, God, they just they just can't get a break. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, really, it is. It's like everybody fights in Iraq or Afghanistan, and here's Iran. Here's Iran starting to starting to show themselves again, starting to show their ego again, like they do when they're not afraid of any retribution from Western countries. Um, and I, I don't think it's going to get any better. I think they're going to continue to do things where they can, they're going to continue to push the envelope. Um, 
And um, you know, luckily the drones that hit Baghdad International Airport, they were shot down. I did. It didn't say by who, though. I'm assuming it's probably Baghdad Air Defense because the Baghdad's army does have the same gear that we do. That uh, we gave them, kind of like Afghanistan, that we gave Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. But um, it just it it's like man, you know, I I know we're we're not in these countries. We're not fighting the war on terrorism anymore because we got too many things we got to worry about here. But uh, and I, I say that facetiously, guys. You wish you could see my face when I say that. But um, <laughs> but it's just, man, you, you read that like, here we, terrorism is still out there. Bad guys are still out there. They're still doing things. And to think that it's not going to progress back to the United States or United States interests, that we're not going to get attacked again, that's horseshit. We're going to. Because that attack was because of us killing one of their, one of the Khomeini's, one of their leaders, or the, I'd have to look it up. Yeah, I, I I just looked it up because I was seeing if we did know who shot down the drones, and it doesn't it doesn't say um, the same thing you said, but uh, yeah, it says it's the one year anniversary of killing uh, Khomeini, yeah, right? Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's Khomeini or Soleimani, one of their leaders, their their major party leaders of their more radical Islamist parties, and um, you know. Yeah. Uh, so the two year anniversary, it says two armed drones were shot down at the Baghdad airport on Monday. And it doesn't say by who, as you said, a U.S. led coalition uh, said an attack that coincides with the anniversary of the 2020 U.S. killing of top Iranian general. Go. And that makes sense. that It was two years ago because I just remember it, I'm, I have a weird memory for things like this. When this happened, we had it on Dale Connick because oh, no. I remember Dale Connick. That's right. Yeah, that's right. We did. Um, I, And that's that to me is that showing that they don't forget in the Middle East guys, we work with these, we, we work, we fight against them. Um, these radical Islamists don't forget. They will never forget. And well, you know what I've heard people say, like commentating on this and this made sense to me. And I think it would make more sense to you since you've been over there. Our presence over there is like a waiting game and they have all the time that, in the world to wait. Dude. No matter Yep. No matter what point we pull out, they don't care how many generations nope. they are ready to take over. That's what they've proved. Yeah, and that, well, Taliban's the same thing, guys. They they will sit in their holes and wait because that's their job. Like they're the opposite of us. We have the shortest <laughs> attention span. We're on to the next <laughs> thing the next day. They are focused on this one thing. Take that is spot on, brother. You are, I couldn't say it better myself. And here we are. And so be prepared. Um, I, I, yeah, and not don't go run out and get bullets and guns, guys. I'm not saying we're going to have the the Red Dawn episode where the Russians and the Iranians are jumping in with the North Koreans. But if you are getting, you are getting bullets, get four Scott munitions. Exactly. <laughs> but um, you know, it's something to pay attention to. And and when we have a weak administration or weak uh, foreign policy administration or one that, uh, and I do think it's weak. I think it's, it's always been weak. Yeah. He's, he's shown that he's a complete failure on foreign policy or current president. Um, and, and weak generals. And weak, and weak generals. Feel. And that you can, you know, that's not me just speaking it. Ask, ask, ask nine out of 10 veterans that have served over in the middle East and what their opinion is. But yeah, I mean, I would say I, I'd have to look at surveys, of course, but I think the general consensus yeah. of Millie is, is disliked. And he's he just comes across as very weak. I've never served under him, but my opinion, and this is just my opinion, yeah, I, I'd say he's weak at, weaker than a uh, she's weaker than a one you know one year old baby. To be honest with you, I, and I, I'm trying to use good analogies, but they're not coming through very well. I need more coffee. Um, but, <laughs> I got you get your coffee. coffee, but um, guys, it's yeah. just it, it's it's this is why we vote. This is why we try to put good administrations in power. In power, gosh, I like to tear good administrations in D.C. Those that still 
care about foreign policy because it doesn't make a damn bit of difference if we pull out of a country. These guys, these dictators, these terrorists, um, they're still going to find a way to hit us. And this is just a step. I think they're, this is just like a test. Okay, let's see what the reaction is. You know what's crazy? I'd have to, and I wish... This is why eventually we will do video and be able to pull up video sure. and everything. We'll get we'll get there. I know I know people are waiting on it. But have you seen the clip? There is a clip that went around of Biden way back because as we know the guy's like been yeah. running for president for like 30 years, <laughs> literally. No, I'm, I'm not even joking. Like since the 90s he's been like trying to be the next president. But there's clips of Biden from like I think it's the 80s or the 90s talking about um or it may, you know what, it may have been Iraq. I don't know if you've seen this clip because I may be thinking too far back, but either way, he talks about why you can't withdraw from a country early. If tomorrow the order goes out from the president, I'm president of the United States, I issue an order, end the war today, begin to withdraw all American troops. It will take a year to get the American troops out. Do you hear me now? That's the truth. It will take a year to get them physically out. Now, if you leave all the equipment behind, you might be able to do it in seven months. And you leave those billions of dollars of weapons behind, I promise they're going to be used against your grandchild and mine someday. And it's the exact things that happened. And it's like, why does he not realize this? When he's on record saying this is why you can't have a hasty withdrawal. Well, and you know why. It's, it's political. It's, 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 it's propaganda. It's movements. It's social, social statements. It's, it's, they're, gonna, they're not ever going to adhere to what they say. What they say. Um, and if it doesn't go along with what their party wants at that moment, it's always right. Parties are the worst thing that could come into politics. I have a Republican yeah. or a Democratic par a party because people don't run anymore or when they do be in leadership positions, they don't. I don't really do think they do what they actually feel. They do what the political party wants them to do in effort to, to reach an election. Um, yeah. And, and what and certain yeah. certain I always mention yeah. certain super PACs fund each particular party like we know you know just one example right but we know the nra right they mainly yeah. fund republicans yeah. and they're gonna say vote this way and we will give you money you know for your re-election campaign and we'll give you an a rating and yeah the nra might not be the best example because we tend to agree with them on, on at least a lot of things but all of these packs whether it's the yeah. farm big pharma all of them they say basically this is how you're gonna vote and we're gonna pay so that you could be have a have a successful re-election campaign and yeah that's, and that's the problem that, that, that is the dang problem and, and biden you know who knows maybe he doesn't even remember what he said uh at that time True. uh you would think one of his staff, staff did you see that i do remember it. yeah but i did but on, okay. it was it was a social media thing that popped up after. yes but it was yeah, yeah it was, i think yeah. it was actually on one of our past guests website john i think it was on john burke's um, when, he, when, when, when his, yeah. when his IG account isn't, <laughs> isn't, isn't <laughs> he's always dead, getting banned. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that happens and guys, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm hard, I'm hitting on Biden. I don't think he's a very good president, but he's not the only one that, 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 that does that, that says something. Of course, that's like the, the modus operandi when you're a politician, say one thing, do the other, if it doesn't coincide with what that party wants you to do. And you know, it's nice to see, and you may if you may want to search this while we're on. It there was a Democratic, um, I don't know, if a congressman or senator. I don't know where it was in the vote who disagreed with the current spending policy that Biden put up. And, oh, are you talking about Joe? Was that Manchin? Joe Manchin that did? I think it, my, yeah, of West my, Virginia. My, yeah, he yeah. he. My he went my, my wife read me that, and he was just crushed by his party 
It's like, dude. Yeah. And and Kirsten Cinema too. I, I've seen that a lot with her. Kirsten Cinema. Uh, I've mentioned this on the show. This was really crazy, and you can look this up on YouTube. Uh, it's a real clip. This is I've seen it. Is that she? You know, she's a Democrat, yeah. and actually, she was very much championed by the Democrats originally because this is part of it with the identity politics. Yeah. She's she happens to be bisexual, and people are like, "Oh, it's great. We have a woman in office. She's bisexual." But the thing was, she's not like a political hack yeah. who goes with the party yeah, on yeah. everything. And during a State of the Union speech, Trump, he had something, and I don't remember specifically, but it was a freedom of choice for something for cancer patients or something like that, that they could, that their medical provider will, will basically ensure them for okay. more options, like uh, more experimental treatments, which she was for, I guess. So she stood up and she applauded while the rest of the party did not applaud. And some other senator stood up next to Kirsten Sinema and you could clearly see, read her lips, says to her, watch your ass. Meaning like you don't stand up and applaud for anything the other party does. see, that's where politicians, I said this when I used to go on Fox, when I, I remember saying it, it came out of nowhere. I, I, it actually was a good say, good little saying. I I think it was, I'm again, here's my ego kicking in guys but but (laughs) but i said i said politicians always put politics before patriots and yeah and that's and that's where you know that's where this comes from politics are for are put before patriotism or for the good of this country and that's another perfect example and mansion is a perfect example as well politicians don't care what party you're on should be able to think freely and do your, do what they think is best for their state and best for the, the country, regardless yeah. of what party it is. And I, it, I, I'm glad it was good to see that Manchin is what you said it was, Joe Manchin. Yeah, Joe that, Manchin, West Virginia. He he tends to go with the Republicans on on more things than almost. Well, and that's it. Maybe be a free thinker then. Think, and it's the same on the Republican yeah. side. If you have a Republican senator that's like, you know what, I support. May not agree with it, but it doesn't have to be always driven by the party. And here we get back to the drone strikes and so forth um, with Biden um, and then Afghanistan pullout, which, you know, yeah, 20 years ago, he said the exact opposite of the thing he wouldn't do. It it comes down to politics again. And the party was all about, I got to be out on this date. And they wanted to make a big deal of it. Uh, And it, it's, it, again, people died. A lot of people died. A lot of people suffered. And um, in Afghanistan, a lot of veterans are still dealing and reeling with what happened because of our our emotional relationship with Afghanistan, especially if you've served there many, many years like I have um, and many others have. Um, and it, it just doesn't it doesn't matter to them what the policy is or who it's going to affect or if it's going to affect future generations as long as, uh, you know, they're, they're going with their Democratic or their Republican Party line instead of having an opinion and, and be doing what you're doing, doing what's best for what you think is best for your, for your state, for the country. And then for those, if you're in the military on foreign policy, if you're on the foreign policy committee, best for the guys on the ground and, and also best for the people within the country that you're going into. Um, and you know, I, 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 and I don't see this getting back to the, the drone strike in Iraq. I don't see this stopping. I see this as Iran testing the waters. And this is what they always do. Iran, North Korea, Russia does it as well. And that's a smart thing to do. It, it's it's tactically sound because you don't want to lose a lot of people and you don't want to get in the bad graces of everybody else in the world. But you see what you can get away with. All right. Let's let's it's an anniversary. We're making a statement. What should we do? Well, it was two year anniversary. Let's use two drones and hit an easy target that still makes a statement that's close by. 
and say it's because America killed somewhere else. So really, we're not doing it to Iraq. Iraq just happens to be the place where the parties are always at, all the war parties there in Afghanistan. But we're going to do it now. And, and let's see the reaction of what this United States is going to have. And at this point, you know, again, I don't watch the news a ton. I read 1440 every once in a while when it pops up. I don't know if there's been a reaction. And if there's not, they'll step it up and they'll do another strike or they're going to bomb something like an embassy or they're going to attack a, a consulate somewhere or they're going to do it. That's doesn't have to be a U.S. consulate, but it'll be somewhere that's friendly to the U.S. or they can make a statement to the U.S. And if that doesn't, there's no response from that, they'll escalate it again. And that's what we are. It's, they're the World Trade Centers. I, if, if you really study that, and you know that as well as I do, because you live in New York, you know, um, they attack. They did a lot of other attacks. Uh, like they tried to blow up the subway system to see what happened there. Oh, I sure. think there was some attack in Chicago as well with cyanide. They did. They escalated to see what could, what can we do? What can we get away with? And, and they tested the waters and that's essentially what they're doing now, which is say, I mean, this is the most political we've ever been on, on a. Uh, no, I th- but I, it's foreign policy. I think when we talk foreign policy, we, I don't think it's necessarily political. This is your expertise. We're not talking about, you're, you're right. I don't know. You're right. <laughs> We're not talking about like <laughs> the med- medical system yeah, or yeah. something, you know? So I don't think it's political. I mean, I just, and I also know you well enough that if Trump was doing the I same will, thing, oh you have the gosh, same yeah. response. It doesn't have anything to do with politics. But earlier we mentioned that if you are going to stock up on ammo, <laughs> go with Fort Scott. <laughs> Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states. Just click on the dealer locator on the website, and that's fortscottmunitions.com. Type in your zip code, and you'll find a dealer right by you. I put up some stuff on Instagram with Fort Scott Munitions, and I have plenty of people writing that they are now new customers. Perfect. So if you're listening to Fort Scott, we're doing <laughs> we're doing our thing, bringing some new people your way, and I know they won't be disappointed. So uh, yeah, go to fortscottmunitions.com, use our promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order, only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the BATTLELINE podcast. Once again, F-O-R-T-S-C-O-T-T-M-U-N-I-T-I-O-N-S.com. Link is right there in the description. And I should say, guys, happy 2022. And I know with the new year, many of you are probably getting back in the gym. You want to live as healthy of a lifestyle as possible. You're thinking, what's the best uh, fast protein I can get into my system after a good workout? And we truly stand behind Bub's Naturals, which is really top of the market when it comes to collagen protein, grass-fed, and they don't do any blending. And we love what they do. They put out other products as well. Of course, they have their um, MCT oil, their apple cider vinegar gummies. Um, but really, their flagship product is the collagen protein, and it's something that you and I use every uh, single it's, day. It's outstanding. In fact, I have some in my coffee right now because I just finished working out and uh, 
Guys, it, it, it does help. It helps your gut. I, I, I always say this because I want people that out there, because there's a lot of you out there that have inflammatory bowel disease or ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease or, or something similar. This is the only stuff that's ever worked for me as far as using protein and an MCT oil, helping rebuild and helping with gut health, proper gut health, which is what it does. And then the gummies are perfect as well. Nothing inflames my stomach. Nothing makes it hurt. And uh, so if you have IBD out there, specifically inflammatory bowel disease, I, I implore you to give Bubs a try. And, and it does help not just with you getting the extra protein in there, which is hard for us, us to do because our small intestines are always inflamed if you have ulcerative colitis or Crohn's. But it, it, it does help to, to, to put that muscle back on because you're getting extra protein and without the stomach upset or cause a flare up. So uh, if you don't have inflammatory bowel disease, heck, yeah, use it. Just knock it out of the park. This stuff's best out there. If you do. But at the same time, a lot of people lactose are sensitive. lactose sensitive. Yeah. Like I don't have, I don't have anything. But if I drink a ton of lactose, yeah, it, and it this screws with me. And this, this does, does not, not. This doesn't. And I've had whey proteins that, that do screw with my gut, and I don't and this have. Is, so you got two people right here. Where one, one, you know, one yeah. is actually has a good, healthy body, and Ian, the other one is just broke <laughs> down and uh, has have had ulcerative colitis for many years. It works outstanding for both of us. And the MCT oil is a great pre-workout to put in your coffee. Or if you don't want coffee, put in something hot. I always recommend to use something warm to because it just it just seems to blend in better. Or try and also try the fountain of youth. Fountain of youth formula, outstanding, high in vitamin C, does have the collagen protein in there. And it, it does. It it does help your help us with our hair and our nails. You'll see them growing faster when you're taking the the uh, fountain of youth formula. So all those buffs, good, great product. Bubs naturals. Love you guys out there. You guys, you guys are amazing. And please keep making your stuff. It's helped me immensely since I started taking it. Um, how long has it been now? Seven months, eight months, getting close. Well, it's gotta well, be. Really I, is, than has that. it been a year? It, it, I think, I think you've been taking it since when we early, when we started the podcast, cause it was prior yeah. to them even coming on board. So I think it's closer. <laughs> has to it been years, that long? Oh my gosh. My, I think so. But yeah, bubsnaturals.com, promo code BATTLELINE for 20% off. You could find the stuff on the shelves at a lot of places, but you're going to get a better deal through us when you go to bubsnaturals.com and use the promo code BATTLELINE for 20% off. Thanks as always, Bubs. Joining us for the first time on the show is Tarek Azim, author of Empower, Conquering the Disease of Fear, which is out now through Simon & Schuster. Not out now. We're going to have this up on Monday, so it will be out tomorrow by the time people hear this, um, which is January 11th. And just to give some background on Tarek, uh, Tarek's family fled Afghanistan in 1979. Tarek went on to become an NFL trainer, combat sports coach, and you also created the Afghan Women's Boxing Federation, which is a really interesting and we'll get into in 2004 after visiting your home. And also created the San Francisco gym called Empower. And uh, with that, it's it's just an honor to have yeah, you on, bro. man. You have an interesting background. Oh, you guys are the best. I can't thank you enough uh, for having me. <laughs> I, I mean, Ian might be the best. I'm, I, I, I fluctuate. Dude. It just depends on what I say at certain times. So. I know about you. <laughs> Dark, you're awesome, brother. I, man, I appreciate We We both appreciate you coming on. And, um, you know, I, I, I talking here and we, we talk about your, your stuff you're doing here uh, right now. We'll get down the road. I, I, I just wanted to, you know, know about your I, I spent many years in Afghanistan many years Kabul Kandahar Spinball like Lashkagar Harat I uh, I was up in 
uh, up near on the Iranian, you know, Herat, but also up on the border of Iran and Afghanistan as well. And that place is near and dear to my heart. So I, I want to hear about you growing up there, man. I don't know what time, well, how old you were and how old you were when you guys fled. And um, because that place is so much history. And I remember seeing pictures of it in the 1960s, how beautiful the Barber Gardens were, how the roses on the Northwest. I mean, they have a whole section of street on the Northwest side of town that they used to have roses for a mile on the street when the season and I never got to see it. I still think Afghanistan is one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been to because I've been up to the Slang. I've been to, you know, I've been up in the mountains in the Hindu Kush and, and in the springtime when the snow is starting to melt and the, oh man, I, I just was like, man, I wish I had my fishing pole. I catch a trout in these things right now. But, um, but when I know <laughs> they're probably full of uranium anyway. I, and from the damn Russians doing what they did. But, um, I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to get at least start from the beginning and, and you know, how he was it growing up and what this, what, what the area was like. And then when it got bad, your experience leaving, if you remember it, because I, I, I can't even imagine how as a child, how shocking that's got to be like, oh, my gosh, we got to get out of the country. Um, so, yeah. Can, can you start there, brother? I, I just want to hear your story. Well, my family background um, and, and how it, how it um, you know, who my family was actually, as you could yeah. see back here, I, uh, my my grandfather was General Shaw Wally. He was the first commanding jet fighter. I didn't know that. He created Bagram Air Force Base. Oh my gosh! I did. That is that is. Excuse me, but that's fucking awesome. Are you kidding yeah. me? I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh my. Yes, my mother was probably I think one of the only children born on that base. Wow. Um, Holy crap. Uh, yeah, so we have a big family history. Obviously, my, my maternal side uh, was all military. Um, Great grandfather on the maternal side was the created the Afghan Air Force wow. under under King Amanullah Khan. Um, did his studies in Italy. My my grandfather he did his studies in Ukraine and in Russia. He obviously brought the first Mig twenty one to Afghanistan. Um, paternally, uh, my grandfather was was Shal Pacha, uh, King of Kunar. Um, so my family's from Kunar uh, on my on my father's side. That's what you claim. Yeah. Right? My mother's from Paktia. My mother my father's from from Kunar. Um, and Shal Pacha actually led, um, you know, the war between Afghanistan and Pakistan for the freedom of Pashtunistan. Okay. Wow. And he was notorious for leading this war without an ounce of blood through the power of language and communication. Wow. And uh, so I've grown up um, always, I've never had the privilege of meeting my grandfathers. Um, my, my paternal grandfather passed when my father was very young, but my maternal grandfather was one of the, one of the key targets of the communist regime. Okay. Um, and he was the one that one, one very loyal uh, to the oath of he swore to to the monarchy, and it didn't escape with the king and anybody. He he said, "I'm you know when the king had respect uh, re requested for him to come join him on the Torham border to go into exile and regroup." My grandfather's response was, "I I respect you, I honor you, but before I escape this country, let's pack all the dirt and the people we swore yeah, to." Yeah, yeah, that's leadership, brother. That's that's hell well, leadership. Oh. My grandfather ended up getting taken in for questioning um, that wow. day and never returned. Wow. Uh, so I didn't have a, pr a pleasure of meeting him. Um, and my at that time, it was just my older sister. And then my family fled to Germany to a refugee camp or refugee establishment. That's where I was born. I came from Germany. Okay. Yeah. And I was born in Germany. And then, uh, you know, we were in about four, four and a half year process of trying to come to America. Okay. Because um, the whole process yeah. of... of 
of there's a process you have oh, to yeah, go yeah. through. To come it's not easy. It's not easy. The State Department doesn't work on our shit very quick. They're going to work. I mean, it took me a year yeah. just to get it, get my passport squared away. And I'm a, I'm right. a citizen. So what the hell? Now, I, I get you, brother. It's, it's a pain in the ass for you guys. Yeah, so you should- we ended up coming out here and um, we we um, we got to San Francisco. And, and, and life began um, when I was two years old. We were two at the time. Um, yeah. I, do, does your mom, is your mom or your dad ever tell you, to, and I'm sure they do, um, you know, but tell you stories and of, or have you ever asked like, hey, what was it like when we had to, because they didn't leave, you had to flee. There's a difference. You have to flee the, the country, what they were going through. And your mom, was she, so was she wasn't pregnant at the time with, or was she pregnant at the time you were, no, she, she just had my sister, my sister, my older <laughs> sister. And we were in Germany for two years when I when I, when okay. I was um, born. But no, I mean, in our household, you know, we grew up. Um, you know, growing up, you would think it was very strict, but it was actually protecting integrity and dignity of who our family was and, and what Afghanistan was. Okay. And my parents were very aggressive with us always representing the Afghanistan they knew, not the Afghanistan you see today. Yeah. And the Afghanistan they knew was an Af- it was an Afghanistan of, of academics. It was an Afghanistan of faith. It was an Afghanistan of of, of morality and ethics. It, it's not the savagery and this disgusting nonsense you see today that the whole world goes. This is Afghan. This is completely opposite of Afghan. Yeah, you're, you're spot and, on. Uh, spot on. I I, I mean, I, just from me going there, even, that's why I could see all these things when I would. I loved Afghanistan. I loved working Afghanistan, Iraq. I, I worked Iraq and Yemen and Libya, all these other places, but Afghanistan. You could you saw the savage. I saw the savagery when I was there because but you could see underneath that layer. I could. And just like I said, the Barber Gardens, when I got to go visit the Barber Gardens in Kabul, it was pretty tore up. It, it, it was. But I could go in there and just see how beautiful it once was. You could see that or the mosque, the two story mosque, the only two story mosque in the world in Kabul. And just see how gorgeous it was. Or going into Kandahar, even going into Kandahar, driving in and just looking at the towns and the cities and I, I went in after one of uh, uh, who was who was the leader there, president there, Karzai. His brother was blown up, and they blew his, his. And but going into that, even after it got blown up, and still looking around, going, "Gosh, this place has so much beauty, so much potential to be the most beautiful country in the world." Gosh, why can't they just get it together? But you could always see those underlying beauty. We'll get it back. Yeah, no, no, I promise. No, I, my life, we'll get it. That's, that's awesome. Well, I was wondering, was um. Was 2004 the first time that you actually yeah. went back to visit, or were you there prior? It was my first time. I, um, yeah, I, I'd, I've been uh, obsessed and, and fascinated with this desire of being in Afghanistan in some form or capacity my entire life. Um, obviously, given the background of who my grandfathers were, I, I didn't have such a hard time having not normal dreams growing up. And as an Afghan, you know, as an Afghan refugee in America uh, and an Afghan American. I, I embraced being American and I embraced the American opportunity um, very young here because I said, look, at the end of the day, this is giving to me and to my family more than Afghanistan is like this. This is this. If I'm if I'm going to claim like this is home, then I need to establish some sort of belonging here. And it was really the efficacy and the power of sport that did that for me. Um, community camaraderie, yeah. you teamwork, know, um, teamwork. Yeah education of cultures and then actually realizing that at the end of the day there's actually no difference in culture all culture is the exact same when respect exists and um i kind of acknowledge myself very young and 
you know, my goal was, you know, one day to return to Afghanistan and be one that not necessarily raises my grandfather's flags up, that theirs is always up, but they showed me what's possible. And I wanted to do something like that for Afghanistan. And in 04 was the first time I went back or the first time I ever went. And, uh, and I went there for a, a, a pretty uh, a, a delicate situation. Um, obviously, as, as Tonto knows out there, there's so much that goes yeah. on around family name and legacy yeah. that faces land. So and uh, keep keep going. I'm going to ask you a question because I got a question for you. Yeah, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. So I actually went there for for some 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 big issues uh, within 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 our family actually, and um, being the oldest son of my father. I, uh, I, I made it a point to not be one that, 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 you know, that important stuff that I, I grew up in was a lot of my motivation. I don't go honor. And it was a tough decision. I was in a, in a really interesting point in my life where I, I could, you know, I had, had directions to choose on what I wanted to do. I had just gotten done playing football at Fresno state. That's awesome. Division one football. Fantastic, yeah. man. We'll, we'll yeah. get into that too. Yeah. I want to know about that too. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I went to Afghanistan in 04 and, uh, and that's where I, I would tell you, man, the birth of this empower mentality, empower concept, and empower philosophy literally came to life within a ten-minute drive from the Kabul International Airport to our home on Chicken Street. Oh, you you, you lived on Chicken Street? Oh, oh yeah, my. yeah, it's our wow, wow. That, bro, I tell you what, I, Ian, if you ever get right behind the Ministry of Interior. Oh, dude, you're that's that's like one of the best parts of town. That's downtown, man. That's I've been to Chicken Street so many at the uh, uh, I think it's the northwest side of Chicken Street. There used to be a French bakery there and they had the best chocolate. So that was. Yeah. Yeah. That, the direct. So that 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 building in front yeah. of it, that's now a business. Yeah. 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 That, that's my that's where, dude i was <laughs> i was so there man walking by there because at least chicken street just as cool within itself it has a lot of history but even even it started to kind of turn in i'll be honest with brother that was part of town where it turned into a little bit too commercial when we were there because of all the westerns it reminded me of, of tijuana it was like man we're in are we in afghanistan or tijuana all these dang stores out there and they're marking their prices so you had to go to the other places to find, but Correct. but it still had all that history there, and like I said, yeah, that building there was a French bakery that had the best chocolate chocolate Danishes. Oh, oh my gosh, I I we'd come back from an op, and I'd sneak into Chicken Street. I said, "Drop me here. I'm gonna walk and get us a uh, get, get us a croissant and get us some cho- a chocolate croissant." And, but that place was amazing. I can't believe you grew up there. Um, my question that I got came in with you was when you went back because of your family name, because everybody knows. Good, good guys, bad guys, especially, or, or the enemies, I should say, of one family or another knows that last name. Did you feel that or were you targeted or did you feel like you had to really watch out because of, you know, there still was an AQI, Al-Qaeda presence. Taliban was still doing their thing a little bit. Were you worried at all for your safety or or did you know of anybody that assassination attempt on you because of your last name? Uh, and how did that, how did you handle that? That's an interesting question. Um, yeah. And the thing is, it's, it's, as you know, when you spend as much time as I did, like, look, I initially went to Afghanistan with an intention that I would go in there and I'll get this family situation done in a month and a half and I'll be back. Yeah. I was there for four and a half years. <laughs> and, um, you know, wow. so from 2004 to 2008 and a half, that was my primary residence. Okay. And the only time I would get out um, to, to come back would be prime for some of my commitments here okay. with some of my teammates in the, in, in the fight game. But um, to answer your question, Tonto, the, the situation there, um, it's so difficult, as you know, uh, there isn't a soul you can trust yeah. because you have no idea 
who's gathering for who. Yeah. And, and then the assumptions for me, you know, the assumptions about me there were extremely just radical crazy because I was uh, Afghan-American, college football player, speak Dari, speak Pashto, wow. Muslim, grandson of these guys. So everybody was like, oh, this is the American golden child in us. So they, they think you're coming back to take over? Like, hey, I'm going to take over and be a, the leader of this. So it was – so even – No, they – uh, they thought more. I was. I was. I was. I was working for. I was working for the. Oh, they thought you were for for NDS or for the agency. They thought you're. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gotcha. I got you. Who gives anybody like this who's never been back here? A 22 year old at this time. The balls that come into the <laughs> country. I have no guards. No anything. You know, driving around in cabs, walking the streets. And I and I and I. One thing I did stay very strong on. I wasn't going to give into. Was I did wear my Western clothes all the time. Cool. And I always was clean cut. I wouldn't leave the shagginess. I wouldn't do that whole, like everybody would suggest, hey, you need to fit in. It's like, well, no, no, this is who I am. And, and if anyone's going to kind of elevate a standard, it's going to be me. So these types of things that I was doing more because of pride <laughs> and integrity were coming across as, as, you know, questions for folks. So yes, there were, there were folks that I always, you know, you live with these crazy nerves because there's just zero morals there and zero, zero traditional etiquette. Um, and they're, they're crazy, right? So the, the assumption of things they'll actually believe. So the threats were, were, were a lot of them were based on assumption. I don't think anything of them were, were, you know, Hey, he's going to come take over this country. Cause I've never sure. had any intention of doing that. But, you know, it was also family, you know, family was also a big issue, um, because of, you know, their, their livelihood was consistently selling off. My father's my father's land without any land deeds and taking down payments left and right from all these really notorious people and these cultivators of opium and so on. So they're really developing this ruckus with really bad people. So when I came to be like, hey, you have to stop this, then I became an enemy of those people. Gotcha. And those people's influence and, and partnerships are obviously with all these 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 horrible people out there because um, they have to pay these people off. Yeah. And these people are a means of their economy. And I was an individual that's coming to stop that because all I wanted to do was protect what was left of my grandfather's name, which was our land. We have no intention of selling it. We have no intention of doing anything on it. We just need to have something to tie into what's left of our root that's been decimated by by what the communists did. How how did you do that? Because it's not like we have real estate agents and you have tax assessors and government surveyors that can say, yeah, this is your plot of land or register in deeds. You can call the Kabul government office and say, hey, where are my plot of land? Is it registered in my name? How do, you, you can't, there's, as far as I know, there's no way to, to do that. How did you stop them from taking your land? I mean, people, we see people take land all the time. I got to know, you know, just the people's yard, white, you know, in Afghanistan, all these countries, Iraq, same, Yemen, Everybody had an eight foot high block wall around their house. And I've got some, well, is this, is this for, you know, for looks? And then I realized, no, they, they're protecting. So their neighbor doesn't come over and annex part of their property because they could. So how do you stop that? How do you stop them taking your land when there's really nothing legally you can do or correct me if I'm wrong. I, maybe I'm way off on that. Well, I grew up, we grew up, I, I had the, the privilege of being able to grow up here and I, I, I learned enough about, just respect and, 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 and basic etiquette and community and so on. And, and what you and I would consider things that are, are illegal here. Like you cannot, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot show up with an army. You can't, you know, bully. You can't, you have to do the complete opposite okay. there. 
So I, I, I just played their game back. Like they wanted to play gangster. I played bigger gangster. They wanted to throw threats. I throw bigger threats. And I just wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't lift my skirt. I wouldn't fall for the, I wouldn't fall for the, the, the trap of, of, of fear. I wouldn't fall for the, for the trap of, you know, we can do something to you. And I'm like, well, there's nothing you can do to me that I can't you, do. You didn't you. show weakness. And we, as guys that have Zero. served over there for many years, say that all the time. You know, I mean, be, be fair, be, have some integrity, but you cannot show weakness ever. Yeah. And that's, yeah. That, and, and the thing is, is the applicability of that exact mentality into anything in life. Yeah. Like you come into a, a boardroom, it's the same thing. You're pitching for a business. It's the same thing. You, you want to join a team or a squad, it's the same thing. Like you, you hold your line. And, and that's what I was blessed to experience in that light at such a young age to when I did come back, it really set me up for a lot of other things in my life. And I always giggle because, you know, back then I'm like, God, this is miserable. What 22 year old is sacrificing his life for his family name. And like, I could be at the beach and at the club, but I'm here in <laughs> Afghanistan with, you know, shitting in a hole on the ground and drinking water. And uh, what am I doing this for? But there's something in it like, always inside that like, this will all make sense to you one day. 20 years later, it makes total sense. Wow. Um, you know what that that awesome. um, thing you were saying about how you have to act over there was reminding me of that famous General Mattis quote, and I wanted to make sure I didn't get it wrong, so I pulled it up. Uh, be polite, be professional, but have a plan to kill everybody you meet, that yeah. is, which is a great, great General Mattis quote. But um, I wanted to ask you about what you did in 2004, which was creating the Afghan yeah. Women's Boxing Federation, because I assume this has to be extremely unconventional because when you think of here in America, women's combat sports, for the most part, I think up until recently, you could say Ronda Rousey was not really accepted here. The women of get the idea of women getting in a ring and beating the crap out of each other is still uncomfortable to a lot of men today. And I would assume it's probably tenfold there in Afghanistan and was probably considered as crazy of an idea as you can get. Yeah. So initially <clears throat> when I went back, you know, obviously with everything going, I wouldn't necessarily call it wrong, but kind of the fight I was there for it, as you know, you know, being in, in, in high intense combat zones and, and that whole combat energy um, and fight energy, it's, it's, it, it, it drives you mad. It drives you insane. Yeah. You have to create alternatives to be able to create some form of balance. And what I had done for balance was I had to integrate myself into something with youth development in order to make the fight worth it, you see? Yeah. And in Afghanistan, because I was all alone, I didn't have the privilege of, you know, like some of my friends, obviously, over the years that I made that were at, at Eggers or Phoenix or, or, or Bagram, um, they'd always be like, you're so giddy when you come to the base. I'm like, like I was like, it's funny because you're acting miserable here. For me, coming to the base is a vacation versus what I have out here. Like, you guys got Thousand Island dressing. You've got Subway. You've got Phoenix, Phoenix Base and Eggers both had they had coffee beans. They had great coffee shops that were yeah, yeah Starbucks. So yeah, it was, a, it was a vacation. So <laughs> what my point was, I had to figure out balance, and and because I, I didn't have anything, I didn't have anybody, I didn't have no friends, I had wow. nothing, and uh, my my balance was actually the youth. And I had actually started just toying around with the neighborhood soccer program almost immediately when I got there in 04. And the soccer program really started to go from a neighborhood program to, like, I'm sorry, like a, like, a, like a street program to like a street versus street to a neighborhood versus neighborhood. And then, it, and then I saw that the rest of, of, of the town was kind of starting to do this. And I built a very good relationship with, at the time, uh, president of the Olympic Committee, Anwar Jekdalek. Wow. 
And and, and Jack Delick was a, a freedom fighter. He fought the Soviets, big commander during that time, fought alongside my uncles. Um, so he obviously had open arms immediately. And the second we met, he gave me even a bigger hug because we both have cauliflower ears. He was an Olympic wrestler. <laughs> and uh, That's like a bond. Yeah, it really was. It was like, our, it, it, like you know, anything else, he would have looked at me as an opportunist, I know, because everybody who comes there from, yeah, you know, the international community oh, yeah. is coming there for a contract or this or that. And he said, what, what are you doing? He's ho- hoping I would say, like, I work for a construction company or a contract. I was like, oh, no, I'm here to get my father's land back and build a school with my mom and drive this youth program. He goes, what are you doing for work? I said, well, I go back to the U.S. and I, 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 I'm involved in, in the mixed martial arts community. So I go make my money there and I come back. And he was just like, okay, you need to come to my office and tell me what you've got going on. So I kind of told him what we were doing with these neighborhood soccer programs. He introduced me to a gentleman named Wali Saburzada, who was from the you know old school Olympic um, national soccer team who had started building this real soccer federation. So I started assisting with him and helping him out. A whole bunch of nonprofit organizations would always come in and in B-roll um, these, these soccer programs for their independent films and all this. And I would get super irritated because everybody in the world was benefiting from these girls, but the girls. Uh-huh. And as I saw this stuff, um, the programs really started to elevate. And then in 2006, a couple of the girls from, from the national soccer team that Wally Saburzada had created um, that I'd assisted with um, were recipients of the Arthur Ashe Award at the ESPY. So they invited our whole team to become recipients of this thing. And I came out. Uh, I came out to L.A. for that. And I came out because I just wanted to assess the reception of what people think when they see Afghan women in, 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 in sport and in soccer. And what I saw was I was like, oh, this is great entertainment. A couple of people are tearing here and crying there and celebrating. But in two weeks after, everybody forgot about Afghanistan again. But so I was like, man, you know what? Like this soccer program missed its opportunity. It didn't do what it needed to do. And what I believe it needed to do, like all sport does, is we need to prove to the world that Afghanistan is ready for social change. And we need to prove that Afghanistan is ready to evolve because we can't leave the keys of Afghanistan's PR in the hands of the assholes that are making Afghanistan look like a horrible place because there's more people than that in, in Afghanistan. There's, you know, we're, we're allowing a little population of like 20, 30, 40,000 people. Yeah define 33 million people. And I'm like, that's not the truth. So I was having a really hard time convincing friends to come to Afghanistan, start their businesses there, advise there, get involved there. And like, you're out of your mind. Women are oppressed. The Taliban are in control and da, 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 da. I'm like, that's not true. Like I wouldn't be there if that yeah, was yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. You'd, and, you've uh, already been strung so, up. Yeah. I, it would have got you already. Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. What do you do? So I, what I would do during soccer practices, I would always shadow box. And I just kind of see who would be looking. And I started introducing like pummeling and, and, and boxing drills as warm-ups for soccer to see if there was an appetite. So right when I returned from the ESPYs, I was really, I was really irritated that, we, that Afghanistan missed the opportunity of making this a lot more defining versus like a, a cute story. Um, I was like, okay, great. Like when I, I'm, I'm going to launch the Afghan Women's Boxing Federation. And everyone's like, oh, and I shared it with a few people in my close circle. And they all said, you're out of your mind. And they said, they said, people aren't going to want to see these, you know, cute, innocent little girls, non-athletic girls punching their teeth in and breaking their nose. And I said, wait, freeze. Like, I'm not trying to build any world champions. I'm not trying to build any fighters. The intention is to utilize the power of boxing to expose the world that the most male dominated activity known to mankind, the most male dominated society of all time is happening. 
And what does that say to the world about Afghanistan? There, there will be no more of this BS marketing of oppression of women if we have a national women's boxing program endorsed by the government and endorsed potentially by the opposition if you can get a hold of them. So I just decided to pull the trigger. And, you know, of course, it was very risky for people who believe in that word. Um, but it, it was part of my destiny because it was in my heart for a reason. And, and I said, great, like, I'm just going to keep walking towards this and all the fear and the anxiety and all that will all be worth it. Again, like I alluded to earlier, someday, this will all make sense someday. But I just felt like I had to do it very similar. Like I felt I had to be in Afghanistan. So when I launched the Afghan Women's Boxing Federation, I made the announcement to a core group, about six to eight, six to eight girls from my soccer program on, hey, I'm doing this as a movement. And if you want to box box but I want, i'm doing this as a movement i want you guys to leverage this as an id card you have in your pocket that says i'm a woman boxer what does that mean i should be in parliament i should be in defense i should be in education i should be in minute i should be in every male dominated role because i'm doing the ultimate male activity so that's what happened so i ended up launching the program and anwar jekyll gave me his blessings but he told me he said you're going to have a lot of opposition coming your way and i said who and everyone I would talk to would say the same thing. And uh, what I did is I just made a list of some of the most notorious warlords that you and I, if you're on ground there, you call them, you call them tribal elders, but the international community will call them warlords. Um, you know, I met with every single one of them who I thought would, you know, just having their names associated with supporting me who, really helped. Who did you meet, bro? If you don't, I'm sorry to cut in. Which, which guys did you meet with? Uh, well, you know this thing big time. It was a very, 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 very close uh, family family friend and ally. He actually helped a lot with all my land disputes was was General Malik Zarin from Kuwait. Wow. Yeah. I, wow, dude. That's, I, so you're, you're meeting with these guys uh, and now other tribal elders or past warlords. Did you meet with anybody that was on, I say opposing side, but did the Hekmetiers meet with you? Did the Saifs meet with you? Did the Rabanis meet with you? Did they? Because Saif was still kind of kind of powerful there. He was at, right. at the university at that time. Yeah. So meeting with 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 Malik Zarin and meeting with Commander Barikot and meeting wow. with 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 um with the governor of Jalalabad at the time. Um, yeah, I know. I need to look him because I I I, hmm. I don't I can't remember the name. Um, his name's like right at the tip of my tongue. He, 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 um. Anyways, but me- meeting with these few few folks that I had done gave me enough clout to solve for a lot of these other folks, uh, comparables, parallels to these guys. And at that point, there was only one left, um, a representing party that I had to had to had to had to speak to, and that was the Taliban. And uh, Muhammad Mutawakil um okay. had, had just returned i mean obviously he was one of the first at guantanamo and then uh, was in turkey and then returned and was on house arrest uh right outside of kabul in, in khushalmana which is about 20 minutes away and um you know obviously through in afghanistan you could find anyone you want within two people um i had the i had the privilege of actually connecting with him uh, on a call and then he asked me to come over for lunch and I, uh, I recorded this whole thing. I have this whole thing on, on, on video. That's, that's, that's pretty great, bro. That's, that's awesome. You need to do that. That's, that's freaking yeah. shit. And it's actually, it's, it's, uh, it, I wrote a whole, a whole, a whole chapter of it, uh, in the book Okay. Uh, of our entire, the entire experience together. And I went and sat with him and, and obviously it was to, to tell you, I wasn't, you know, nervous and wasn't like, holy shit. 
um, just on the drive there to to actually meeting because again you just have no idea like this is a perfect opportunity for for me to be made an example of for bringing my Western ideology into Afghanistan. Exactly. Yeah. And but for some odd reason, you know, when you have this conviction and this in this relationship with, with with the greater power, there's no man in the world that will ever dictate uh, my decisions. And uh, and 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 that that conviction to my faith and conviction conviction of the higher power just kept just go just go just go. And I ended up getting out there, um, got to the compound, and it was really strange because I expected to see a whole bunch of Taliban operatives all around protecting this compound, but it was actually the government's uh, military because he was on house arrest. Oh, wow. They wanted to control, uh, obviously, who, who, whose communication was, where he was going, who was coming in. But then, you know, the reality was that was actually more of a threat than it actually being Taliban um, because later on, you know, you learn to find out that the Afghan government's interest wasn't a peaceful Afghanistan. Yeah. So even for them, it was like, okay, great. Like now we know this guy was trying to bring some, again, I, and then I became a target of that stuff, which I'll explain later. But long story short, I ended up getting down there with Matawakil. And uh, to say, to say I was, I was shocked or blown away is an understatement. Um, because of the, the reception and, and this is the first lesson in my life that I can remember where I started to become mindful of the significance and the value of communication. The power of communication, having a very transparent, honest conversation was something I was able to do with the Taliban that no one was able to do yet without spending a billion dollars to do it. And I did it strictly on the power of intention to serve. The common interest of serving was what? Was acknowledging that they're humans too. Right. And, 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 and which human being in this world doesn't want to eat? Which human being in this world doesn't want electricity? Which human in this world doesn't want peace? But it's just about it's, it's just about developing channels of communication that can stimulate that thought by wiping the emotion out and bringing in logic. And, and that's what I had the opportunity of doing with with Matawakil. And he was extremely, extremely um kind and soft and open to like give me the floor to be like, all right, great. What do you, what, why are you here? And I said, look, I've got this intention uh, of this vision I have of actually wanting to put Afghanistan on the map as a country that's ready to evolve. And, and I want to leverage women to do so. And his eyes kind of went like this. And I'm like, oh, God, like, <laughs> and then I was like come on, TV. I was like, T, come up with something ASAP before he has an opportunity <laughs> to answer himself. And, um, and I said to him, I said, look, I want to, I want to create the Afghan Women's Boxing Federation, but here's why. Like I jumped in there, but here's why immediately. So it didn't leave any room for him. And he kind of moved left and right and kind of just – of course, it would make sense to nobody if you're saying, hey, I, this is going to solve for da-da-da. Boxing, how? Yeah. I said, look, it's non-political. No one would ever track the intention behind this or stop it because no one would ever think of sport or physical activity as such a powerful tool and means of peace, prosperity, reconciliation, mental health. And I, I really I did this fantastic presentation um, about my perspective on the power of sport and why women should lead this. And um, I tell you, man, he put his hand on his beard and he grabs my hand. And then, like, Lucy gives me like this, like, hug slash, like, kind of like a kiss, and says, "You, you're, you know, um, 
same thing as as as, as uh, Malik Zarin had said to me. You know, th- this this is something that you know along the lines of like how, how happy he was to know that someone like me exists because this is going to be what 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 could save the 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 future of Afghanistan. And I just like, stared at him like kind of stuck like what? And and he you know and I thought this thing would go on for for weeks like a delegation going back and forth like within you know 45 minutes to, to three hours a period of a time I got the endorsement of the Taliban to launch the Afghan Women's Boxing Federation. And he said look I've got my communication and I tell you our people will be your first line of security. And if you want, I'll come to the stadium because we ended up making the, the, the boxing club at the stadium as a very symbolic move of what was going on during that regime. And he, um, he had mentioned that I, w- I will come to the stadium and honor and greet these women myself. And uh, I took this right back to the head of Women's Sports Federation immediately, right after I'd left this thing, uh, for meeting with him. And obviously, we stayed in touch, and I would always touch point, connect, and, and check in and so on. Um, but I bolted right back to Sharanao, uh, which is like downtown Kabul, uh, right in front of the park. <laughs> there was a restaurant where I was meeting with the, uh, the head of the women's sports federation. And I told her what just happened. And she said, you're, you're lying. This can't be true. And the funny thing was, is, um, very famous film producer, Peter Getzels and Harriet Getzels Gordon, uh, uh the husband Peter was with me because he wanted to document this massive initiative um, my mother and I had started in, in the Nangrahar in Tora Bora for a private school. So he came out and he, I brought him to that meeting with Matawakil with me and he's the one who recorded it. And and she's like, you're lying. I said, Peter, show her the camera right now. And he opened up his camera and he shows and she like literally holds her face and she goes, you're, you're kidding me. I said, no. She said, how'd you do this? I said, I communicated. I respected the common ground and I communicated. I didn't necessarily ask for permission, but I asked to join me on this, on this, on this, on this rebrand of Afghanistan. Be a part of that, and uh, and then that's how the women's boxing program, you know, started. And I took it back to uh, to Anwar Jekdalik, um, and then obviously went to Anwar Jekdalik with having the opportunity to speak into you know uh, Malik Zarin, Golaga Sherzoy, who was the, the the governor of Jalalabad at the time, Commander Badikot, a handful of tribal elders. And then I sealed it with a, with my last meeting with the Taliban, and Jack Dalik was he was to, you know he was he was so excited um, that I'd gone that distance in order to do it, which proved my conviction that look I'm I'm not here for any contracts I'm not here for for any of that and, and I'd like to be but my mother my mother threatened me you know my mother threatened me with hey listen you know we're not a family that came here to take bricks we're a family that came here to lay bricks. You know, and and don't worry, God will reward you in some other fashion. But you come out here and honor your grandfather. You know, your grandfather died for this. You need to now, you know, put your foot forward. Da da da. And and and, and that's kind of what helped with the reception of, of my initiatives in, in Afghanistan was the fact that my intentions were strictly about service. There was no other sort of benefit to to my presence there. Did- you, you know what? There's there's some parallels to this. And um, do you remember like when Dennis Rodman went to North Korea? I don't know if you've ever seen The Big Bang in Pyongyang, um, which was a great documentary. But it, it was interesting because there's a lot of people who criticize Dennis Rodman for going over there. Why would you, you know, meet with this murderous regime? Why would you have a basketball game go on there? And then on the other hand, uh, 
people who feel like it's a good thing that Trump, for example, finally met with Kim Jong-un would say, Dennis Rodman kind of opened the door for this through sport. I think there's a little bit of a parallel there. I don't know if, if you feel the same way. I mean, look, I, I mean, at the end of the day, the, you know, the, that, that regime has done enough to make the world feel the way they do about them. 100%. You know, and, and I have a lot of friends who, who I, I made, who I, I lost, who I, who, who lost folks, uh, who, you know, they, they've done enough, obviously, um, to, to create this, 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 this brand they've given themselves. And I'm not here endorsing that establishment or that regime at all, but, you know, communication, uh, around intention, and just like we, we, we alluded to earlier, kind of stepping up and not backing down uh, a bit will always kind of start to level set a, 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 a lowering the waterline of setting a new line of communication. Like it's just battle, 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 battle. It's like, great. Like, let's get to a balanced state real quick and let's see if we can, let's see if we can just start all over again. Like, let's just reset that play. And I thought that that, that initiative uh, would be one that can at least start like, look, man, like this, 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 this guy just, just, you know, this athlete, this meathead just came into this country and was able to do something without raising a dollar. I didn't raise one cent for it. And at that time you have like, you know, all these massive nonprofit organizations and the United Nations, and all these different types of things have these 150, $200 million women empowerment funds and budget. Everyone's like, Hey, you should go, you should go apply for this. I'm like, I don't, I don't need to like, I don't need money to communicate with somebody. I don't need money to get someone to believe in themselves. I don't need money to, to inspire, like put that towards getting our water. Like, yeah. We still don't have running water in that, in that entire, you know, yeah. there's trillions of dollars in, 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 in Afghanistan, let alone in Kabul alone. And there's still no running water. And not enough houses. I, I, I remember out at Eagle base, all this money coming in USAID is getting it. UNHCR was getting all this money and then driving out past Eagle base which is uh, I, I have helped me out here north side of Kabul, and people just in these UNHCR tents. I, I mean, I, yeah. I was like, "Where is this money? Where's all this money that you guys are taking? Why aren't at least you put them in? I know we have houses. There's huts that, and they were they it looked like shanty. I mean, it was it was it was dreadful, and that was what I was thinking. Man, they raise all this money. Where does it yeah. go? Does it actually help anything? And I don't think it really does. No, it doesn't. And that's why that's again where I wanted to, to to prove that like look, there's there's capital we're not acknowledging as capital, which is just human decency and respect and, opp- and creating opportunities of just believing in yourself. And I think that once you give that to somebody, like we did the young women and like we did even potentially hopefully Mutawakil and some folks from that regime, was the fact that oh God, there's there's different ways of actually being able to solve for things without blood and without, you know, uh, murder and disrespect and detonations and, and and my whole intention was that was like let, let's create an alternative way of being able to solve for something and the little bit I did um, helped me personally and it helped everybody I've been able to touch since that point um, from from Afghanistan to the NFL to the UFC to Wall Street to Silicon Valley like, it was that moment it was that little period of time in Afghanistan that I was able to solve for as much as I have uh, from, from then to now with, with, with the addicts, with the depressed, with the, you know, PTSD, with the, you know, individuals suffering from the thoughts of suicide, like my, my whole life's work that that's in the book, that's in this book actually came from that conversation with, with Mutawakil. It came from 
my experiences in Afghanistan with these warlords. It came from, you know, the, the no running waters and the no electricities. It came from all that stuff. I was like, what am I doing here? Well, now I know what I was doing. You, you to know. You know? And that's all I'm hoping that that thing, that, that, that experience and, and that story did and does for the future of this country and then the world in general, which is look what communication can do. Look what decent, just eye to eye respect conversation can do. Yeah. You know, it, it's not, don't, don't try to buy that from people. You won't because people are never going to value it if you're buying it. But if I'm giving you something that money can't buy, which is respect. That's capital, right? That that's that 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 that's that's power. Yeah. And uh, and that's all I was I was I was hoping to, to to solve for that was just show you like, look, I could solve for this issue if if two of us respect each other, if two ideologies can respect each other, we can solve for an entire generation's life. Right? It's not necessarily about having to buy and build. Yeah. Like, let's just start here with the, with the human part of this. And, and, and that's, that's why that program was so important to me was, was I wanted to prove that. And that's a tough time. I have a tough time to do it. And it is a tough, just, just because it's women at that point in time and the way, at least for me being an outside, and I was an outsider, I was an American there. I, I am. I was, I was portrayed myself as being an American. That's what I was. Um, but even me seeing that is like my, I would have told you the same thing. Like you're going to start women's what in 2005 here? Are you out of your fucking mind? That's not going to work, man. They're going to kill you. They're you're going to get you're going to get hit, and then they're going to blow up the facility you're training at. And you just never would think of that. But your your thing on respect, Tarek, is amazing because that's one thing I did get out of Afghanistan as well. And I was on the streets a lot, sometimes fully kitted out, sometimes not, sometimes wearing clothes I bought in Afghanistan to to try to do my best to to look local if I was doing things. Um, but it was always. It was the respect. It was the hand over the heart when you you know say goodbye. It was me trying to learn the language, which I got a lot. I, I have a Momo and a Coco there. I have an aunt and uncle there. They they adopted, you know, and and I, I always told guys that's like don't come in like an American, fuck with chip on your shoulder. Got all these tats going on. That doesn't work. In fact, you're probably going to die first. All right, come in and just get to know the people. Just say hi. Say you know, can I, can I challenge that? Yeah, quick? go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Because I tell the guys that not come in like an American. I went in. I went in as a proud American. Okay. Because I wanted to show them that decency and this etiquette that you think is Afghan actually lives anywhere and everywhere in the world, as long as you're a decent human. And see, that's that's where. And, oh, go 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 ahead. No, go ahead. Because because I I know <laughs> I know I know I I love it. I love what you're saying. Now go ahead. And, and, and that's that's a beautiful thing. And I know you experienced this in Afghanistan. Was that like look look the, the people that were that were creating the the tension between the Afghans and the Americans, right? It wasn't either, it wasn't the Afghans and it wasn't the Americans. Yeah. Right. It, I think it's the world's biggest nightmare to have these two countries unite. Because that and to be one, it's the world's nightmare. Because then, then right? it can show that it can be done anywhere. If 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 think about the mentality behind yeah. the two. Yeah. Think about the inspiration, the motivation to be a player in the world, like the U.S. has intended. And think about Afghanistan. It's one of the oldest countries in the universe. It's been in more wars than anyone in the universe. It's <laughs> never lost. Imagine these two married, right? And 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 this is what a, I'm 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 what a marriage of Afghanistan and the U.S. looks like. And, 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 and that's the intention of, of, of what I think is, is always being prevented there, right? It's, it's individuals infiltrating 
um, this, and obviously this gets very deep and people are like, okay, he might be out of his mind, which is totally okay, but I experienced it firsthand and I know you did as well. But there are several different governors, ministers, local, 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 you know, uh, supervisors and so on that are on the payroll of a ton of opposition from, from surrounding countries that want to keep this disruption going. And I witnessed it. I saw things happen in, in Jalalabad and in, in Kunar that that were, 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 were folks were claiming the Americans told me to do this. Americans had no idea that, that this was going on. So now an entire village hates the Americans. And all it takes is that one little misinformation. And it's it, it takes that one misinformation. And that was like the consistent, you know, like why is this consistently happening? And it's, you know, it's just the fact that if you see there's a massive consistency in not wanting to see the U.S. and, and Afghanistan become one unit it's, or team. And that, that, that's, I guess, with how you came in and how I came into the country, because I am coming in as an operator, coming in with guys. And that's where I say American in a negative town of tanks, because there were times where I did see us na- Americans being negative, being that bully, because we could. Oh, I've because seen, we I've could. You gotta remember, and you got to remember when I say Americans, that was really – that was my culture that I was in. I was – you know, we're, we're not going to take any shit, but we can't take it too far. And I saw guys take it over the line. So I guess you're, you're right. You want to ask, you say proud American, you came in, you saw it that way. You were around people that you, you could be positive and be that proud American. And I am a proud American. I, I love what I did over there, but also I, I was around guys were being, wasn't proud American. It was being a bully. And that's what I didn't yeah. want. And every Afghani that I came up to first I had to get through that mentality that they had of me that I'm this bully. I'm this American bully. I'm like, wait, no guys, I'm not, we're not, but we kind of brought that on ourselves, uh, you know, a lot. And then, I, totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, there was, there was a, there was a, I mean, I, I you know, imagine like I grew up my entire life with not like as an adult, never really having to get in fights. Like I was in college, never really had to get too crazy. But as an adult in Afghanistan, I got more fights <laughs> in Afghanistan than I ever have in my life. And a lot of it had to do with the expat community. Yeah. Um, like at La Atmosphere, for example, in Kabul, right? Like the 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 whole little like expat bar. Um, I mean, these guys were just keeping up telling me, I'm like, look, guys, you guys are the reason why there's so much stuff going on here. Like, comment. That, I get it. That's what I, I would tell guys that from Iraq to Afghanistan, everywhere. Guys, stop it. Stop with the chip on your shoulder. If we just, just be nice. I, I like the Patrick Swayze philosophy of be nice till it's time to not be nice. Okay. Right. I mean, and that's even, even in Libya. I, I love Libya. I, those are the nicest place. I, I love the people there, but when it was time to turn the switch on, okay, I'm not that nice guy anymore. No, stop shooting and stop trying to kill our people or I'm, and that's, that's how an operator should thought. That's how I always thought an operator should be, would be always be nice, be, but be able to turn that switch on when you need to, and then be able to turn it right off when it's done. Or we get that we're, and that's for me. We get that mentality of uh, of being that bully that's coming into a country. And I see, think a lot of the world sees Americans like that, as we are the bullies that come into countries where I want to say, well, no, we're not. We're, we're coming in to try to help and do what we can. It doesn't always work out that way. Yes, there are a lot of deaths. It's war. That's. But in the meantime, you don't see us guys on the ground like myself going to the French coffee shop or going to get a croissant or going to Shari now and, and at the movie theater. And just sitting on the sitting on the steps or the walk and just saying, you know, just saying, just waving hi and, and giving the respect. And that was, yeah, that that was that that is. I, I'm glad you said you being proud of America because it really fo- helps me focus on things of how you're how how we're all seen a little bit differently 
from various countries and various cultures and how I honestly always felt like I was against the eight ball because I was always going to be seen first as that American that doesn't give two shits about this country that wants to kill you or run you off the road or hit you with this car or where I was like, no, I just, I'm here to do a job and I just, I want to make as many friends as I can. And then I want to go home safely. That's it. I never want to fire the gun at all. That's not what I'm here for. I've always been, um, I've always been extremely protective of, of, of the American presence there. And there was no interest other than the fact of, I knew for a fact how much misinformation was coming to the operators from, from, from the individuals they had hired and trusted to be their cultural attaches or their linguists. Or was that you think because the family names tribe was against tribes? Do you think that was going on or was it just money, just money to give him money, money, money. 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 Imagine, imagine, imagine you're, you're in America for 30 years and you decide to not capitalize on this. So you're, you know, you're, you're just, you know, driving cabs and running liquor stores. And all of a sudden this opportunity for a half a million dollar a year salary tax free comes up for you to come translate um, and come and come educate folks on Afghanistan. And, you know, you, you know this cause you studied in Afghanistan, the way people said hello in Afghanistan 60 years ago was not how they say hello now. So even the translators who are going back to educate and inform our special our special operations community and, and, and our you know American leaders from this side, they're coming in there uninformed, uh, guiding and giving advice on Afghanistan from thirty years ago. Yeah, yep. and and I saw that because my mother, you know, my mother's a very 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 influential woman in that country, and, and she spent a lot of time there and came back uh, in fourteen. But my mother was the one that was consistently at the PRT base wow. in Jalalabad wow. or at JPAD, pulling innocent people out of out of the out of the jails because of uh, misinformation and not capable of being able to translate Pashto or the slang or the dialect, and and and, and that's unfortunately what was giving the Americans a really bad rap. What were actually the 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 hired to help the Americans people. It, it, it's, it happened. I remember it's happening specifically when I was with Blackwater, we had a linguist or we had a transfer, but he also was our expediter through the airports and he was taking money from us and he was taking money from Iran and giving information out differently to different. And it, it, it did. I remember the misinformation being very, very bad, but also still, again, I still remember overall, after the people got through and they saw that I wasn't a total dick American. Um, and I say it cause we can be American dick with all this gear. on. I was actually nice. Um, they treated me so awesome. It was just, just amazing. And, and there were times where they would run to me for protection, which I thought was so awesome. I was like, Mike, yeah, come on, man. I, yeah. so, but I know we're, we're, we're getting off of t- and I don't, I'm sorry, but I just, I just, it's taking me back. And what you're saying, no, it really, it means a lot. You say, you said it well, obviously um brother after all that you know you, you've got it is the women's boxing is it still going on right now are they still doing it or do you know it was, it was going on until the uh the the new establishment in in the afghan government situation from a few months ago. why do you think do you think it's just because of uh, i mean is, is there a more harder line taliban leadership now or do you think it's just they just it's, un, it's, it's, it's just being in, in, uninformed. Um, again, it's, it's like, you know, it, everything was going forward and now it just went back and it's restarting again. It's a story of Afghanistan. So, yeah, you know, I, um, Prince, Prince Nadir Naeem, um, who's my only friend and ally in, in the country, wow. um, 
It's my my my, my brother. A, uh, he's the only one, only one I stay in contact with. He's he's the only one from monarchy that stayed. That's that's, that's and, a pretty uh, good ally to have, though, brother. That's pre- yeah, oh, he's, pretty. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's such a, he's such a gem too. But him and I had just talked recently. He said, "Hey, look, I think there's a really big opportunity here to help advise this this establishment because they are looking for a way to evolve as a 21st century." you know, government. And then, you, you know, and then you obviously you hear the complete opposite um, in, in the news and then the opposite from all these different chats. So, you know, I myself have just kind of stayed clear of the whole situation. I just listen um, as much as I possibly can. But you and I both know that unless you're on the ground there, you'll never, yeah. ever understand anything. Um, Perfect. So I don't know what's really going down there anymore right now. Uh, that's, it's, it's too bad because I, I loved I loved seeing the first day the women were able to go to school and I saw a little girl walking down. I say, I've said on the show before, I still, I can still see it just vivid me driving my Land Cruiser down the main street, going to, going to the airport, going to Kabul. Uh, I don't forget what we had to do around there. And I saw a little girl in a little Catholic school girl outfit because that's what they thought they had to wear. It, it was, you know, she's wearing a little, and she's I'm like, where is she going? And she has a backpack on and she has books. I'm like, holy shit, she's going to school. She's going to elementary school. This is, this kind of, my mom, I was awesome. Yeah, my, my mom. My mom actually built the largest private school for women in Torah. No way. First time. But this wasn't even a, this is the first time in the history of the region that they were being educated. Wow. 500 girls a year go to our school. Wow. Dude. That's amazing. Yeah. Man. That's yeah. incredible. It's an incredible it story. Is, too. You know what I was going to ask you about the book? So two years ago, Chris put out a book called the Patriots Creed, which is the third book Chris did. And, and the cool thing about this book in particular is it's not necessarily about Chris. It's about like all different figures, whether it's in the special operations community like Scott Guerin. And you kind of did a similar thing with your book. Although your book does focus on you, there are certain chapters on other people you've met who empowered and inspired you. Like there's a chapter on Tulsi Gabbard, who a lot of people in this audience speak so highly of. And from what I gather is like a personal friend of yours. And I thought it was cool that you did that with this book. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 flow of the book was um, every chapter almost broke into the three uh, three sections almost, but not like in section form. You just feel it after you read the chapter. So there's a there's a whole personal element where I, I just had some learnings from my own experience, um, and then how I applied that learning to see if it works on someone else. So then I, you know, like if if I have a a, a chapter on permission, for example, like what permission meant to me. Then I then I, I thought of like one of my teammates and clients or friends that I've worked with over the years on on who's a good story that I could share that with and show that look that also worked for them and that was like Jed York, right? And then and then I and then I'd end it with little notes on like things to think about and how to think of. So a very prescriptive memoir almost. Um, but I leveraged utilizing other folks in here to show the applicability of especially because of what I go after. Right, the entire intention of the book is about the normalization of mental and emotional health. And I wanted to use these particular figures in my book because these figures are looked at in society as the, like the up there's right. Like the ones we respect, we admire, they take risks, they're, they're this and that. But what it does is it actually shows that these individuals have realized that vulnerability is what set them free and being expressive about this is what set them free. So the intention of this book is to, to leverage these figures to lower the waterline on how society starts to embrace knowing that mental health and emotional health is, is definitely real. Everybody fights with it, suffers from it, but we also have a, a, an opportunity and a privilege 
to embrace it. And if you embrace it, here's what happens. And that's where yeah. you have the Tulsi's, the Jed Yorks, the Marshawn Lynch's, the you know the Jake Shields's, the, the and all these other you know Tom Cables and you know all these amazing people in this book who are like the, the who's who of their industries. Yeah, I, I want people to pick up the book to to see all of these stories. But could you share with yeah. us the Tulsi Gabbard story? Because I think so many people in the audience really respect her, and I do too. You know, earlier in the intro, Chris and I were talking about the few politicians who go against their party and stand yeah. for something. And to me, she was one of those. That's why, like, she was not a Republican, but the Democrats hated her. Hillary Clinton hated her. And I think it's because she stands for something. Well, because she's rational. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and and a veteran. And a veteran. And, and, a hero. Sense and you can understand her. And if you can understand her and she makes sense, then you know there's a responsibility that's going to follow. But let's go ahead and choose the opposite. So therefore, we're all confused like we are today. And and that is yeah I would so let's if you can could you get into her story and and your relationship with her yeah 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 so Tulsi and I um <clears throat> we had connected actually um through one of my one of my one of my best friends and cousin uh, Ryan Melchiano him and I were heading out to a hunt in in Colorado and you know it was that that was like that period of that time when everything was going on with with kind of just getting ready for all this stuff and Tulsi was out there marketing. And he was just kind of down and bothered. I'm like, what's up? And we have this thread going on him, myself, and one of my other best friends, Jake Shields. And uh, Ryan sends this clip of Tulsi on this, on this TV show. And it, it was so, it pissed me off so bad how they almost, they, they cornered her and, and were bullying her like on, on national television. And she just didn't want to stoop to their level. And, and, and you could just tell on her face, she's just kind of like, if I could catch you outside of here. I think that was... Is it, is, it all the, is it all the crap about her being like a Russian asset, which is it was, so it ridiculous, was, being she's an army... It was guy. on The View. It was... I, yeah. Yes. They were, that's what, exactly what they were doing, Ian, on The View. And the, the, I, yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah. Yep. And I, uh, and, and, and I would literally... I never forget, man. I'm just sitting and I'm looking at this and like Ryan's driving and I look up at him and he's like, yeah, man, like... She's like the only rational one right now. Like, what, what, you know, and, and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, you know what? And I, I went on Instagram and I, um, I saw that link and I went on my Instagram, my DMs, and I wrote her a message and I said, hey, um, I'm really proud of you and how you carry yourself. And if there's anything I can do to help, um, let me and my stable know. Simple. And my stable is almost everybody in the book and, and everybody I've, I've coached over the years throughout the, the National Football League and the UFC and so on. And then, like, literally two minutes later, I got a response um, from from Tulsi saying, like, hey, thank you so much. I'd love to connect. Or from her sister, actually, because she was running her, her, her social media. But I had this big feature from ESPN as my, my link. So she read through that. And she's like, oh, shit, like, this guy's, this guy's you know, uh, the re- real deal. He's just not like, you know, some, some, some troll or something. And um, so then Tosi and I connected. Before I even got to Colorado, we were already on a phone call. So within like two hours, we talked for a good hour. And then two weeks later, we ended up meeting in L.A. Um, and we spent a good couple of hours together a couple of times that day. And she had come into town to, to go on Rogan's podcast. And, um, and, and, and Tosi and I just started really getting down. And I, and I do something um, called a game plan. And a game plan is, is kind of like my, my, my branded process of an honest conversation. I just don't call it an honest conversation because no one would show up. But when I call it a game plan, people think it's about like their fitness yeah. and their health and like performance, but it's not. I actually just dive into what's really preventing folks from, from, from operating at an optimal state mentally and emotionally. 
I just really dive into like key mental and emotional deficiencies that are preventing them from contentment. And a lot of the consciousness of my approach is always about death. And people always ask why, like why death? I said, because it's the only guarantee in the world. That's why death. And it's the only thing we should be preparing for because it's the only thing that's happening for sure. And like, what do you mean by preparation is like funerals and this? no, you literally just take a feeling to your grave. Like let's just make our relationship about that feeling. That's the only responsibility I want to have to my teammates. And I made that very clear to Tulsi right away after we had connected live. And when we did that, that helped lower the waterline quite a bit on, on key deficiencies uh, around, you know, being in the circumstances and the situations she was. She knew she was way above and beyond as a human being of what was going on. And, um, and we just really dove into to a lot of that, a lot of that stuff that kind of goes on out there that we all know about. Um, you know, how anybody who is rational, anybody who is a legitimate, capable individual who wants to see involvement and change, um, get a glass ceiling put over their head nonstop, really try to turn people like this off. Um, you know, she knew she was in a fight, but I also wanted to know that she had a whole community. Sure. And we built a, a close relationship almost immediately because our birthdays are on the exact same day as well. <laughs> That's weird. And I started, we started toying around with this whole thing and she called me the biggest, you know, she said, you're so cheesy. Cause I call us TNT. Uh, it's Target, Tulsi, dynamite. Nothing wrong with that. That's a, <laughs> I, I, I know we're getting long, but I did, I did want to come back to circle back to this Fresno state. How did that, how did that go? We're playing and then your combat sports conditioning. What is, what is that? Uh, you know, tell people what that is and, and how you developed it. And again, I apologize. I know we're keeping you a little bit long, but I'd like to at least hear about the Fresno take, what, what position you played, how was your experience there? And then the, uh, then the conditioning. Yeah, no. So I, 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 you know, I grew up playing soccer and uh, I, all I did in my, my freshman year, I was just a kicker and all I wanted to do was kick. And then I got a taste of playing football, football, when I got to go in the fifth quarter after the game's over. And they let the <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you got, they were good that year. Fresno State was a damn good. No, 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 I'm talking about high, oh, high school. Okay, how okay, I, okay. How I even, yeah, yeah. How I even made football relevant. <laughs> and uh, and I was a fifth quarter guy my freshman year in high school who come in for some of those little snaps that the special boys play. <laughs> and uh, I got a taste of, of what it was like rushing and hitting. And uh Fell immediately obsessed over football. You know, sophomore, junior, senior year, balled out of control. Senior year, for the first time or second time in our school's history, we won state after 25 years. Uh, uh. And I was just kind of like, oh, my God, football is my thing. <laughs> and unfortunately, I wasn't getting I, – I, even though I had the sack – like I still – like I think I still have the sack record in, in, in the BVAL. I had like 16 sacks my senior season, and I just wasn't getting looked at by anybody. What size were you, Brad? What position were you playing? What was your size? I was playing outside backer defensive end. I was 185 my junior year and 205. And how, how tall are you? Okay. Um, six one. Yeah, you're yeah, yeah. You yeah. They, they want the six three, two fifty guys that yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. Almost just like, what the hell? What's going on? But I also realized, you know, my parents didn't know the the system of how to work coaches and build those relationships and become a coach's guy and so on. So I just I earned all my stuff by by grit and just bop, 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 bop and I ended up getting most improved player of the year that year and all this <laughs> stuff, still no teams. So I actually went um, and I, I wanted to become a SEAL. Okay. And uh, so I was becoming a, either becoming a SEAL or joining the Air Force Special Operations. That's, that's pretty tough. And both for both. I started wearing this army. But not as tough as becoming an army ranger. I will right? get in that. We'll, we'll, stay, we'll keep that out. We'll keep that out. <laughs> we'll, we'll get in that later. I was all, <laughs> I was all on, on being involved in something of that capacity and so on because, again, there's always that family yeah. name. 
And then uh, Mike Dar uh, and Ed Hall, who are these local football legends out here, they were coaches at a junior college, okay. and called me and said, hey, I got word. You're trying to go to the military. I said, yeah, yeah, you know, it's kind of what I want to do. And, you know, it's a football thing didn't really work out. And he said, son, you could play football and you could play Division One football. And I'm like, no, I can't because I'm not getting any. He's like, listen, you come play for me for one season. And I'll, and I'll make, you know, he's like, you got it. You just haven't been exposed. Like, you just need to learn how to study film. You need to da, da, da. So I ended up going to this local JC. Which, which was um, it? What JC was it? I played JC football too. I played, J- yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I went to Las Madonnas. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I went to you. I went to Dixie, Dixie Junior. Now Dixie State, oh. but there were Dixie Junior College. We were like ranked number two in the nation my freshman year, number oh. one. We were, we were, we were, that, man, we got, that was fun. Now keep going. Yeah, I know, I know exactly Junior College. I know which one it is. Yeah. Well, I ended up, Ended up playing there, and uh, my my game just evolved tremendously. Just the the the, the technical part of the game, the studying of film, like okay. being coached by Ed Hall sure. and Mike Dar, like yeah. forget about it. And um, then I started getting looked at after my first season there, and uh, the Oregon's uh, Aliotti, wow. and, and then Fresno State and Cal, and so on and so on and so on. And then I was really geeked up on going to Cal so I could stay local. And then uh, the coach I was in contact there that was recruiting me was Randy Stewart. Okay. And um, he was a DB's coach and, and on the defensive coordinating side. And then Homo and staff got fired, and he went to Fresno State. Ah. Hey, look, I could bring you to Fresno State with me because I was looking at you at Cal. Will you come down? And I was obsessed with Fresno State because Fresno State was like, you know, in the top, top, top. Yeah, 10 back they were then. real good. Real good. And uh, the second I, you know, one of my best friends, David Tolofsson, who ended up playing with the Giants for two Super Bowls, drove me down in his Buick Regal just loading me up with water and food to be as heavy as I can. I put like two inch, I put two inch lifts in my shoes. So I was like six, three when I got down there. <laughs> and, uh, I went down there and met coach Hill. And the second I walked into his room, he goes, to his office and, and coach Hall made me wear a suit. He said, son, this is a job interview. Yeah. Don't, don't go with your sweats and acting all. You wear a suit. This is a job interview. So I, I had a, a tie on and lifts in my shoes and I walk in and, and Pat Hill goes, you know, we're a team that likes to hit and watching your film. You like, to hit. <laughs> yeah, <got you. laughs> and he said, this is what our program's about. And right when he did what our program's about, I said, stop, I'm coming to Fresno state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right now. And I committed to Fresno state. Was that when David, was David Carr, the quarterback at that time? Was it? David Carr was our quarterback. Yeah. He was leaving. He left right when I got there. Okay. It, he was, he was, he had got done playing. He was our quarterback, but he had just gotten drafted when I was. Gotcha. There. But yeah, Coach Hill was. I mean, he was amazing. That guy was. Uh, yeah, I, that, that's a. So, so we He did. He looked. He did look like just. You know, he was a baseball cat. Uh, he did look like a bulldog. He really did from the sideline. Yeah, I was playing football there and uh, learned a lot. The best experience of my life. I was an outside backer rush end. Um, my size really didn't matter because my speed was ridiculous. Awesome. And my go-to everyday one-on-one was a you know legendary Logan Mankins who ended up going to the Patriots. Wow. Yeah, so he was my he was my training partner on the offensive side, and like he really evolved my game tremendously. And then um, the last half of my senior season, Pat Hill pulled me over on the on the road as I was walking to class. He was in his golf cart. He goes, "Team man," I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "He's like, what are your plans?" I said, "I'm one step away from the NFL." Yeah, like. You know, a year and a half ago, I was in two years ago, I was in high school, like 50 feet away from from the NFL. Now I'm one foot away. And I said, I, I want to pursue the league. He said, the coaches talk. And uh, would you consider moving to fullback? And I said, and I didn't hesitate. I said, anything that gets me on the field. 
you know. So then I, uh, my second half of the season, I started preparing. I went to fullback immediately the next day, changed my number from 54 to number six. And uh, about four weeks into that, we had Colorado State coming up and we're in preparation for, for the Colorado State game. And I was on a block and I hit as hard as I possibly can. And I got this, this, this stinging, burning sensation from my neck down to my toes and I dropped. Wow. Wow. And I was like, oh, man. And I got up and then, and then I, you know, a couple of days later, I just kept being completely sideways like this. And long story short, I ended up blowing out on my L3, L4, and L5. <laughs> you damn, damn, broke your neck. Yeah. All that. Like my low back. Yeah. And then I, uh, yeah. So then that kind of slowed everything down. And then I wasn't able to, to finish out that last season. We had the Silicon Valley Bowl yeah, that year. And, uh, and I was not dressed. And then I got surgery, spine surgery, uh, on the 6th of January. And, uh, and I was like, you know what, I'll make a comeback and, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll go to a pro day. Cause every four year institution has a pro day and I'll get my way back in that way and just perform at the pro day to just get me a workout somewhere. And in preparation for all of that is when all this Afghanistan situation came up with my family and I really had to make a decision if I wanted to pursue the national football league or, or go live with my responsibility and my family legacy. And that's what I chose. Well, that, and that's, that shows, that's what I was respected with from uh, people of Afghanistan. Family was, family's always first. It's always self. Family is always, very rarely did you see family not be first, at least the immediate family. And that, I always had a lot of respect for that because that, that was amazing. Um, I, I gotta know, I just touch on the combat. I, I the last thing that I want to get the combat conditioning and what does that entail? Or is that we call, and that's what I'm looking at. Cause I know I've got it in my notes here. Um, yeah, no, it's not combat conditioning. Yeah, yeah. So I was, um, I grew up obviously doing a ton of martial arts, primarily based around um, my insecurities and, and, and lack of confidence. And uh, you know, I went from taekwondo to to boxing, from boxing to jujitsu to jujitsu to what MMA had turned into. And while I was in college at Fresno State, all the local casinos actually started this whole MMA stuff, and it was very, very new back then in two thousand, two thousand one and two. And, uh, and obviously I was equipped with, with knowing how to fight and started making a ton of different friends and small little cohorts of guys who grappled and guys who boxed. And we, we all kind of just started coaching each other and getting involved in the fight game. Um, I ended up meeting, um, Dave Terrell, um, who was in the UFC back then who introduced me to what later became obviously my teammate who I coached for, you know, six world titles named Jake Shields. Um, and then obviously a handful of other guys throughout the uh, UFC, I ended up, you know, teaming up with. So we, we, we were kind of like that first generation of, uh, of, of, of fighters in that fight community. Um, I had the privilege of competing a handful of times myself, but again, yeah, surgery number two, surgery number wow. three, and I just had surgery number four. My back just could never keep up for, for competing myself. So I ended up becoming a coach because I couldn't, um, compete. So I ended up being the coach of our team. And uh, had the privilege of, of being on the uh, you know world championship stage a handful of times with Strike Force, with 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 Elite XC, um, with the UFC. Got to fight George St. Pierre. You know, I coached Jake for his fight against St. Wow. Pierre, largest gate in, yeah. in his uh, life gate in history. And um, from that, you know, kind of a whole bunch of young fighters kind of came up through 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 us, and now we've got our next big one. Um, I'm, I'm still in the game. Wow. Uh, one fighter, one fighter a year, just to kind of, or one fighter at a time. I'm really excited about. It. He's an Afghan kid, actually, out of London, called Javed. Oh, wow, Bashkara. man, what's it? What's Bashkara. his name? Let's keep it up. What's his name again? His name is Javed Bashar. Bashar. Okay, um, gotcha. He fights at 135, 
Um, oh, Mark, wow. that's Mark, 135. Mark. So that's oh, well, that's welterweight. Wow, okay. Yeah. Oh, no, no, Walter, welterweight's 170. That's what I was saying. I was like 135. That's got to be like, yeah, what is that? He's a, he's a little, he's a, <laughs> uh, what, what, what is that considered that weight class? Because that's, that's like <laughs> as low as you can get, I would think. So you got like bantam weight. Um, so he 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 is uh, eleven and zero. He's an Afghan kid. Actually, had a lot he's, but he's bantamweight. You're saying? Yeah, I think that's what one thirty five is. Yeah. Okay. I just don't know. I was like one thirty five. That's like I'm thinking of those guys. Like, uh, oh man, like the former champions in that division. But yeah, that's it's just one thirty five. Small. <laughs> and he's eleven. Yeah, eleven he's, and zero. Is he got a shot at shot at what's what's his and what's his shot at the top? When is he going to get? I, when is he going to get the oh, shot? Sorry, sorry. It's featherweight. The 135 is featherweight. featherweight. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay. Um, I, I honestly, I, I've only coached world champions, and I know world champion when I see one. Um, and I'm telling you, the next 12 to 18 months, this kid will be the world Basher, champion. Basher, I, I'll keep his name. You heard that's it first. Awesome. And then podcast. we got to get him on the podcast, man. We got to get him. Yeah, we definitely got to get him. He's a stud, absolute stud. He's the, the next generation. Um, you know, it, 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 games a lot different now than when sure. it was ours. Like you were very dominant at an art. Now you're dominant at, 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 at the, at the whole wow, thing. Bro, that's it. That's well, amazing. We, we've had some, we've had some champions on the podcast. We've had Pat Militich on, we've had on Andre Olavsky. So it would be cool to have on a future champion wow. for, hearing it from you first. So yeah, yeah. Future champion him. I think Jake Shields would be fantastic on your show. Yeah, we need to get Jake Shields on the show. De- definitely do yeah. it, bro. Let's do it. Yeah, I'll make that introduction right away. Oh, I see. Send me yeah. a, Dude, that would that would be awesome. Send me a send me a, send me a, uh, a text message with your guys' info. Okay, um, yeah, we'll do. It'd be great to have him on. I mean, look, I would I I don't like to ask for favors, but we've been trying to get Tulsi Gabbard on. We'd love to have her on. Um, but yeah, th- this has been awesome, Tarek. Like, this is an incredible conversation. And the thing is, we have so many guys on the podcast who have been in Afghanistan as operators. So it's interesting to hear your take from a completely different yeah, perspective. Yeah, it is. And, and you're saying, brother, I am so, it makes me so proud to be an American by you saying how you came over and you wanted to show how proud of an American you were to the Afghanis. Because it really, as a guy like myself, uh, going over there in my situation, it was always a stigma that I had to fight against first because I didn't get that uh, that proud. Of it was this is a this is I'm evil. I'm the evil guy. I'm the guy coming in to, to mess this place. And but we got over that. That was what I loved about the as, as soon as I was respectful, they were respectful. And that's what I always tell guys, new guys coming in, just be respectful. Be respectful. If you don't want to say Asha, you know, you don't want to say uh, Asalaamu Alaikum when you then just at least cover your heart. Be respectful, and they will treat you with respect. It, you know, I, yeah, th- this yeah. this brother, this helped me. I, I, this really did. You're saying makes me it just makes me happy and it reaffirms my my love for Afghanistan and my love for people like yourself. And, and I, I, I I appreciate that, man. I it, it did. It touched me when you said that. It just made me. I didn't get defensive or anything. It's like, wow, wow, that's awesome that he thought that way and that he portrayed himself that way. And, and, that, and that means a lot because that also says the Afghani people, as I always have thought, are, are wonderful, wonderful people. And I love that country. And I hope I hope they, they get it because they're going to get it right. But, you know, you know, as good as I do, it's not going to come from outsiders like myself. It's going to come from the inside. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to come from. And honestly, that's what I always say, man, we, we could pray. All we can do is pray for it, yep. but at the end of the day, like it's uh, 
you know, sometimes, man, I, I also get to the mentality that like sometimes countries like Afghanistan aren't meant to be at peace. Sure. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, the, the existence of that country is primarily potentially of like, let's use this as an example of what not to be. Yeah. You're, 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 you, know? so just, you just never know, but you could do your best as a human to, uh, to, to wish and desire and pray for it. But even at the end of the day, like, unless, you know, you're on the ground there and all 33 people are philosophically aligned. Um, yeah. And that's, that's you know, the that. expectations. And that was a one big thing. And, I, and I'm sorry. No, 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 on, but one of the big, no, no, this is great. One of the big, big frustrations that I, I always, you know, seem to suffer from is the expectations people have of Afghanistan um, being caught up with the rest of the world. It's like, do you understand Afghanistan froze 40 years ago? I've like, heard that, yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't expect Afghanistan to think like we do after 40 years of no education, no governance, no spirituality, no faith. Like Afghanistan claims an Islamic republic. You tell me one ounce of Islam that lives in that country. Uh, I, I, it doesn't, doesn't exist. I study, I study Islam at a very scholarly level with some of the most renowned scholars of our generation. And what happens in Afghanistan, because education froze, people are confusing in-home culture with religion out there, right? Like, like think of Sharia law, for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's probably giving me a lot of trouble, but hey, Sharia law. It's a rule in Islam. You can't impose Sharia law on people unless they understand it. You can't say, hey, this is Sharia law, and then expect for people to, to abide by it. You it's not abidable unless it's understood. Wow. You see? So yeah. like that alone is a sin in itself it on forcing a law that people don't understand. So the ones imposing these laws also don't understand them. But because of the power of the gun, yeah. you know, folks are, are – and then what happens is that power of the gun leads to the power of the egos. And then that's where you have – it's a consistent thing like this. So, you know, look, at the end of the day – it's it's the expectations the world has of Afghanistan to be able to understand what we understand here. Where look, relax, like you've got running water and electricity. <laughs> people out there are, are trying to figure out how to like hydrate themselves right now. Like they don't have the the luxury of thinking about you know a stop sign or uh, uh, you know uh, you know a, a quote to make you happy for the day or signing something like they're, they they're, yeah or just the ridiculousness of how things are i mean everything is the right gender pronoun uh, like these are such first world issues, oh, and, and right? I've, I've said it on this show because of, of i'm i'm very i'm very blessed to have experienced some of this stuff uh overseas um is that that's what i always say with this country with america and i again i love this country but i i think we try to make problems so we can say we have problems like the rest of the world and and you've seen those problems the rest of the world has God, I hope we never get that way. So why do we have to make up our own problems as well or make them worse than what they are, what they actually could be? We're doing it just so we can say we're like the rest, the rest of the country that actually does have problems. I mean, the rest of the world that actually does have problems. I, I, it never made sense to me and it still doesn't. And that's also why I don't watch the news. And that's also why I don't go on the news too much anymore. I don't, I, I read every once in a while, but it's, it's just that, man, are the only export that we have in the United States anymore is drama. That's our export. We don't export anything else just so we can be like the rest of the world. It's like, no, let's, let's yeah. be the example. And you are the example, the proud American comment. That is the example that we need to set as Americans being a proud American. And, and that's, that hit me. That makes sense, man. 
and that's a really interesting um it's, it leads me to another thing because I, I have the privilege of being able to do like speaking engagements sure. quite a bit and a lot Both of my, you guys yeah a lot of my speaking engagements are <clears throat> very interactive like i don't go up and give a speech i sit on a stage with someone and we just have Your a conversation. conversation i call it i call it the oprah right? you do the oprah that's what i call it when i did right. the oprah yeah 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 and uh and, and 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 it's funny because i've you know Obviously, like I'm in this like competition myself of always trying to be the more proud American than anyone I know. <laughs> As like an Afghan refugee Muslim, it's funny. But I ask, I ask a lot of my American friends, like white friends or African American friends, like the Americans. I go, hey, define American culture to me. Uh, card and Kardashian and everybody. Good. Everybody. Freezes. Everybody freezes. And they all freeze, and I'm like, oh, it's interesting. They go, what? I'm like, well, you talk about America, American pride. Well, tell me about American culture. What's a, how do you define American culture? Everybody freezes. And they go, isn't it sad that me as a Muslim Afghan refugee in America can tell you American culture? They go, what is it? It's an opportunity. And that That's what American culture is. It's opportunity. That's a, bro. You see? So when you talk about what American culture is, that should just be one word called opportunity. That's right, because that's what America's done for me. It's done for my family. It's done for my community. It's in. in but the, the 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 how you honor that is capitalize on it and fight to have a seat at the table. And and that's my life's mission in America, and in the world, is to leverage what I've learned here, who I'm associated with, what I have access to, to have a seat at the global table around just sharing perspective on how we can just create more respect between people. That's it. That's awesome. Ah, that's awesome. And you're, you're right. Well said opportunity. Um, as I, I'm very blessed to have a grandfather that was an immigrant illegal Mexico. Um, and then he got his citizenship, but that's why he came here was the opportunity and he worked his ass off. And that's why we never bitched about it. He ne- don't complain about anything. Ejo, he said, Ejo, don't you complain about anything. You just get up and work. If you don't get what you want, you just get up and work harder. And you go and you and you and humility. He had so much humility. Um, no, bro, I, I think it's amazing. Yeah, you, you're an amazing individual, bro. I, you really are. And I figured that before you came on. But you're doing great things. And I know you're humble, so you don't want to hear it. But, dude, you're, you're awesome, man. Uh, fantastic job. No, you're awesome. You guys are, you guys are great, man. And I'm really you know, honored and privileged that you guys, you know, uh, reached out to be on the show with you guys. And, and uh and I hope we can do more together and yeah. as much as I could be helpful to the show, to, to this perspective, to this, this opportunity you guys are giving people to, to actually speak their truth. Um, I really hope others learn from, from what you guys are doing. Well, this is the sound. Thanks, this man. Is the, no, this, this was awesome. And I think a lot of people are going to get something out of this. What were you saying? I said, this is a platform for it, but I got to quit stepping on our guests all the time. Cause I keep forgetting. I'm not the interviewer. <laughs> no, no, I'm not the, inter- I'm not the interviewee. I'm the interviewer. Shut up and let him talk. I I'm getting better at it though. No, it's I think two years, man. <laughs> I no, I, I think this was great, man. And, uh, and also people forget that we're not in the same room. Thanks to Squadcast, The audio sounds great, but yeah, it's just connection. Sometimes we step on each other is all, but this was excellent. Once again, check out Tarek's yeah. Instagram at Tarek, T-A-R-E-Q. Simple as that on Instagram. And the book, if, if for those of you listening on Monday, is out tomorrow. Empower, Conquering the Disease of Fear. Pick it up through Simon & Schuster. And I'm really glad that the folks at Simon & Schuster got in touch with me because that's what made this possible. 
And yeah, we'll definitely do a part two at some point. But uh, great conversation, yeah. man, and, and great to meet you and and hopefully have more of a friendship as as time goes by because definitely. we love what you're doing. I mean, uh, Battle Line Podcast is you know not a political show. We like to just have on inspiring people like yourself, and and this is very indicative of what we love to do. Awesome, man. And uh, yeah, thank you guys again. This is fantastic. I'm looking forward to more together and uh, expanding our communities together. Thanks, brother. And when you become prime minister, Azim, in Afghanistan, can I come? I want to come back and visit, please. And we're going to go down the French bakery and we're going to get chocolate croissants together. I'm buying. I'll pay for this, that round. Okay. Uh, done. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Dude, thank you, you're, all, you're, you're awesome, brother. Keep inspiring people, doing tremendous work. You inspired me today. Thank you so much. God bless you guys. Thank awesome, you, guys. Yeah, and, and and for the listeners, as always, check out our sponsors. Um, pick up a shirt. We have a link right there in bio, the Battle Line Podcast shirt, which Chris happens to be wearing. I know we don't have video. At some point, we will have video. Uh, we're working on all that stuff. It's just it's so much harder to edit video. It's really what it goes to. Um, but leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We're slipping a little bit in the ratings. It helps us out. So leave us a review, and uh, we'll see you next week on Monday, as always. Stay positive, never quit. That's all for this episode of the Battleline Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself. Face all challenges head on, and as always, never Never quit. quit.